Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, so happy Mother's Day. And we know, you know, moms are so important to uh, us, to everybody. I'm so glad that I'm part of a church that is also caring for orphans, those that don't have moms. And uh, you, if you're newer to Brookside, you might be asking yourself a question. Why is Brookside in Omaha working, doing work over in Zambia? It's so far away. Well, there's two reasons. They're very simple. One is Zambia is one of the poorest countries in the world, has tremendous amount of need, and has an orphan crisis. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, Jesus commands us. He mandates us. The very last thing that Jesus said before he left this world was go to all the nations and uh, do his work, help people in their physical needs, and preach the gospel. Uh, so we're just being obedient to what Jesus told us to do. About eight years ago, Brookside um, really got a heart for the world. And we decided to go and help launch an orphan care center in rural Zambia. And um, we are actually doing it in Serenje, a small village in part of the, the country. And we're partnering with a local church in the capital city, which is about seven hours away. You can see that on the map too, with Fairview Church in Lusaka. Dan led our team this year, and uh, actually we had two teams come together, about 25 people in total from Brookside and also from Fairview Church in Zambia, together as one team uh, to do our projects. Dan, I've heard great things about the trip. Tell us yeah. a little bit about from your perspective. Yeah, you bet. And, and thanks, Brookside, for being a church that invests in, in trips like this, your, your prayers and support. So for me personally, the highlight, one of the highlights was reconnecting with Pastor Navis. And many of you probably remember that Navis and his wife, Ketty, were here last year, but he is an incredible man of God. They're a great couple, and so I love the chance to spend some more time with Navis. Navis is a church planter. He's planted over 200 churches in his life. I can't even get my brain around that, how you can, mostly on foot or by bicycle in the bush in Africa. Uh, so that's incredible. Uh, and on top of that, he is very strategic about multiplying leadership and so part of our agenda on this trip was plugging into pastor training so he's not only planting churches he's training pastors so that these churches can have godly leadership uh, an example of this six years ago uh, a team from brookside helped a church in a little bush village called teda put a metal roof on their brand new church building uh, one room church building got them out from underneath the the thatched grass kind of hut uh, place where they were meeting where the rain would leak in on them so that was a huge huge moment and now six years later we this team is a couple weeks ago got to do Sunday church in that building and I can tell you that that church is thriving it was an amazing service and on top of that that church has now planted another church a couple kilometers mm. down the road I found awesome. that to be really exciting that yeah. the gospel is multiplying and going out in that mm. place that's phenomenal the other side of the coin for Pastor Navis, aside from the church planning and pastor training, is orphan care. Zambia is at this tragic crossroads of poverty and AIDS and malaria, and so there is a generation of orphans who are in need. God has given Navis a vision to have an impact in that area, and God is helping that to, to come true and to come to life, and we're part of that. And so the other piece of our agenda on the trip was to run a camp for 50 kids at the Hope Center in Serenje, and then another 130 out in the bush in rural Zambia. I want to share one story, just a, this is a, a, a vision, kind of a memory that's going to stick in my head for a long time. Imagine that you wake up in Serenje, you get on a bus, and you're headed down this dirt road. We've got to drive out further into the bush, 
it takes about an hour. It's a very rustic dirt road. That's, that's, it's pretty good there. It gets to the point where it's almost washed out. You're driving through gullies. I've told people it feels like you're inside a washing machine with wheels. I mean, you're getting mm. thrown back and forth. After an hour, you're exhausted. You're going up and down these bumps, and you round the corner, and there's a grass field and 130 Zambian kids who are waiting for you. And at the sight of the bus, they burst into songs of welcome because they're so excited for camp. That is a, mm. that sound and that sight, I can't get it out of my, out of my head. Mm. I'm going to remember that forever. And they know, like, you know, those kids, they might be wearing their last set of clothes, their only set of clothes, their shoes about to fall apart. But they are excited because for the next few days, they're going to play games and sing songs. They're going to get a meal, but they're going to see a skit and they're going to hear lessons from the word of God. And they're going to learn that Jesus loves them, that God cares for them, and, and that we do too. So mm. the camp was an amazing experience. Mm. Uh, that was incredible. So that was the trip, kind of the agenda of the trip, the pastor training and the camp. But I do want to talk about as well, even the team as we were preparing, we talked a lot about experiencing God. And one of the things that can happen on a trip like this is that you can experience God in, in ways that you maybe haven't before. And every trip will be different, but a theme that God kind of kept bringing up to our team was how to experience him in times of personal helplessness. And that would be, maybe it's just the heat or sickness or you've run out of physical energy and, and there's another day at camp to do. Or it showed up at times where after church, we, they would ask us to stay and pray for folks. And you find yourself praying for a, a paralyzed young girl who lives out in the bush. And you know, these are these circumstances where you just look at it and say, there's nothing, there's nothing I can do. Here in the States, I might you know, go buy something or do something. There'd be a doctor, you'd find some way. But all of that gets stripped away. And we found ourselves wrestling with this. God, what do we do? when we can't do anything. And I can tell you that in those moments, God really showed up. And mm. many of us experienced God kind of moving through us and doing something mm. when we knew that, that we had nothing to offer in and of ourselves. So that was a cool part of the trip. The last thing I want to say maybe as far as what was unique about it was the partnership with the Fairview team. When we landed in Lusaka, we didn't know these folks, but it does not take long for those brothers and sisters in Christ to kind of bond into one team and it was a fascinating and incredible experience to do ministry with, with these folks. They became very dear to us, and we count them as friends now. And so that's another exciting part of the trip. So I just want to close with a challenge. There's a good chance that many of you listen to announcements like this, and you think, that's great. Those kind of trips are amazing. Of course, I would never do that. That's, that's for pastors and missionaries. Or, and I, I will say this. We had, a, we had a pastor on our team. We had a missionary on our team. But we had a whole bunch of folks on our team who had never been on a trip like this before. And if you would have asked them, they would have said, this is not something I'm equipped for. I'm not somebody who does this kind of thing. But they, they took that leap of faith. They kind of heard God say, hey, maybe it's you this time. And they did it. And every single one of them is glad that they did, had an amazing experience. So my challenge is, if you're sitting there thinking, boy, that's great, but I don't know if that's for me. Um, I, would, I would spend some time wrestling with God and just saying, you know what, God, I'll do this. If you want me to, I'll join one of these teams and I'll go experience this, even if, even if it seems like it's a big stretch. So that's, that's Thanks, my encouragement. Dan. Thanks, Dan. So I'd encourage you, like Dan said, uh, maybe consider going next year, uh, our trip in April of 2017. You can hop online and get information for that right now today uh, before you forget and request information. We'll send you out all the information that you need. Second of all, if you uh, want to get in, in more kind of up to speed or 
be more aware of what we're doing both locally and globally, a couple different things that you could do. One is uh, like our Impact Facebook page. In addition to our church Facebook page, there's an Impact Facebook page. You can like that and then also look for information on how you can be a part of our uh, newsletters that go out. So thanks, everybody. And now we're going to turn our attention to God's Word and get into the message this morning. So, Steve. morning. Well, we're in the prophets right now, pretty heavy stuff. So to lighten things up, I thought we'd uh, start out with a game, uh, uh, a recognition game. So we're going to put these uh, pictures up on, up on our screen. And uh, these are actually individuals that uh, have been seen by people many, 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 many times. And I just thought I'd give you a minute to see if you can recognize who any of those individuals are up there. Okay, I'm not going to ask you, but did anybody just kind of nod your head? Yeah, I know, one or two. Not so much. All right. Well, uh, let's show you. Here's the next. This will give you a clue. They were the uh, press secretaries for each one of those, those uh, presidents uh, listed right next to them, all the way down to Josh Ernest, who's uh, the press secretary for President Obama. So here's the deal. We're, we're in the profits. Here's, here's why I'm showing this. And as we're doing the 365 reading. And what I want to do is I want to make sure we understand what the prophets did. And so really, a press secretary is like a perfect illustration of it. They, they, they are not speaking for themselves. They're speaking for the president that they're representing. Every time they step to the mic and they speak, they're not just saying what they want to say. They're saying what they've been told that they should say by the president. And that's exactly the same way it is for each one of the prophets. They were spokesmen for God. And so even though they had their own personalities, their own life experiences, uh, all of their own ideas and, you know, everything uh, about themselves, when they stepped to the mic, they were speaking for God. Okay? So uh, last Sunday, we, uh, uh, we started off with Jeff's sermon in the book of Hosea. And, uh, and this morning, I'm going to, and next Sunday, I'm going to be talking to you from one of the most famous prophets uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. And if you're on, on our 365 journey, you begin reading Isaiah on Thursday. And I, I really think, in fact, that was, you know, uh, so much fun over these, over these months. I've been hearing almost on a, I mean, really, on a weekly basis from more than one person saying, man, I love that we're doing this 365. I love reading. I love that we're, we're coming here on Sunday morning and we're tra- the sermons are tracking with what we're doing. So I think we're, we're on a good deal here, all of us together. And I would just say, if you haven't started yet or if you're behind, this is a great time to jump on. You can jump on at any point. Just, just start out where we're at right now in the book of Isaiah, which frankly is one of my favorite books uh, in the Old Testament. I just, just love it for, for many, many reasons. And I just want to keep emphasizing the power of God's Word in our life on a daily basis makes all the difference on our own spiritual growth and what God can do in, in and through us. So, uh, you may have discovered this already, that the prophets are a bit hard to follow because we, we enter into a historical timeline of not just one nation, but two nations. 
You remember when Solomon's son Rehoboam took the throne, he didn't listen to the right advice when he was asked by the people to make life easier for them. He, didn't, he refused to do that. In fact, he made life harder, and so the nation split into, into two. And to add to the confusion, these prophets uh, spoke for God during the reign of a, of a lot of different kings. I mean, quite a list, actually. One king after another, some of them very short, just a few months or a few years and so you got this northern kingdom called Israel, and you may have noticed in your Bibles you read sometimes it's called Ephraim, which makes it even more confusing. And then there's the southern kingdom, Judah, and each one of them had their own set of kings. They fight against each other. They fight other nations, and so it, it can all get a bit, bit confusing. Plus there's three major world empires they come trouncing to this piece of land on the east side of the Mediterranean. First there's Assyria, and then Assyria gets swallowed up by Babylon, and then Babylon uh, gets swallowed up by the Persian Empire. Three major empires all taking their turns invading Israel and Judah. Now, some of the prophets prophesied uh, to Judah and others to Israel. And case in point are, are the two prophets in this three-week series Jeff and I are doing uh, Hosea, that Jeff talked uh, about last Sunday, and Isaiah were contemporaries, but Hosea uh, was sent by God to Israel, and Isaiah was sent by God to the nation of Judah. The point we're at today, God is prophesying through his press secretary, Isaiah, to the people of Judah, and Isaiah is telling them to trust God and not make the same mistake that the Israelites are making, where they're, they're trusting in, in their own power, their own strength, their own wisdom, and they're trusting in the power of other nations instead of, of trusting in God. So this morning, we're going to look at two different prophetic passages from two chapters in Isaiah, both chapters pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ, and i got to tell you, both of them are just totally amazing. And the first is from chapter 7, and the second is from chapter 9. And there's two things that I'd like us to see. And uh, I'm going to try to just kind of outline this for us to help us track this morning, because we're going to be moving very fast, all right? So first of all, I want us to see how how remarkable, how incredible these prophecies really are. And second, what the promise given in these prophecies can mean for each one of us today, especially as we face challenging times in our own lives. So, first of all, they're incredible. They're incredible because there are specific prophecies, prophecies about Jesus that were given over 700 years before his birth. And if if you're taking notes, you want to write that, that number 700 down because that, that's the number for us this morning. So, you know, to, to help us see how amazing this really is, I thought, let's, let's think of it this way. So I checked to see if, if Abraham Lincoln had a press secretary. And what I found out is that he had not, not, not only one, but he, he had two. And they were John Nicolay and John Hay, and they served under, together under Lincoln from 1861 to 1865. That was 151 years ago, all right? So now imagine if one of those men predicted 
uh, everything that's happening in the Middle East right now, and Syria, and ISIS, and all of that, and, and, and they put it in writing 151 years ago, and they gave enough details about, about you know, nations involved and what was going to happen that, that the accuracy of their prediction would be unmistakable. And, and let's imagine that we all uh, took a bus, and we all went to Washington, D.C., and we went into the History Museum, and you could read what they wrote. I mean, the very manuscripts on which they, they, they wrote their, their, he wrote his prophecy. I mean, you'd be very impressed, right? Very impressed. By the way, it's interesting. I, you know, we have Eli Chase up here, um, and I don't know how many of you know Eli, young guy up here leading worship sometimes, and Mike Hawkins. I found an amazing similarity between these guys and, and uh, former press secretaries. Look at that. Isn't that incredible? I mean, anyway, I just thought I'd show you that. That's kind of a little sidebar, okay? We kind of did a rabbit trail there for a minute. Okay, so what we're talking about here is not 151 years. We're talking about Isaiah giving, giving specifics about Christ's birth over 700 years before it happened. Over 700 years. And by the way, Isaiah is not the only prophet who did this. There, there are more than 50 such predictions. I don't know if you picked up on this, but when you were in the book of, of Micah that you read in, in a one-day's reading... In, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Micah tells us that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Again, over 700 years before it happened. Now, here's something else not to miss. All of these prophecies are included in Old Testament books like Isaiah. Books that are proven to have been written these many years before Christ's birth. Proven with, with careful study done by highly respected uh, scholars, and even, even critics of the Bible. They, they examined the biblical manuscripts. They did all of their research. They used the same criteria by which to determine the dating of any historical document. And, and, and so the scripture we're looking at this morning is, is the real deal. I mean, this is the real deal. Specific prophecies given over 700 years before Christ's birth. That's the first thing that's so important to understand this morning, to give you the confidence that you can have in, in God's word. Uh, <clears throat> and second, then, then I'd like us to see this. I'd like us to see that what the promise given in these prophecies can mean for each one of us today. And it shows us, I mean, this, don't miss this, it shows us that God, knowing our greatest need, our need of salvation, God had a plan to meet this need thousands of years before we were born. So uh, I look at this, and I'm hoping that you will walk out of here today with increased confidence in the Bible, that it is truly God's word, and with this increased confidence that God cares for you, that God cared for you in the past, and God will always always care for you. You know, I want all of us to see that we have every reason to live every day with this immense sense of hope, no matter what that day brings. Okay, so um, keep tracking with me. Uh, it's going to be worth it, all right? Uh, so let's dig into this. Isaiah's ministry then began around 740 B.C. That is 740 years before Christ. 
And, he, and, and his ministry was during the reign of a king by the name of Uzziah. And after Uzziah dies, his son Jotham takes the throne for about, uh, about 16 years. And, and they, were, they actually were very good kings among very few of good kings of Israel and Judah. In fact, after Jotham dies, his son Ahaz takes the throne, and he's one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. And unfortunately, he was king long enough to do a whole lot of damage uh, to, to the nation of Judah. Now, during his reign, there's all kinds of political intrigue. That, and, and the emerging superpower at the time was the Assyrian Empire, and they, they had their capital uh, their capital was the city of Nineveh. Anybody ever hear of Nineveh? Jonah, right? Jonah absolutely, dis, I mean, total disdain for the Ninevites because of how evil they were. They were bad. They were very bad. Assyria is the empire who everyone in Judah's part of the world is afraid of. And let me tell you, it was immense. It would be like modern-day Iran taking over all that area of the world up to Turkey and down the Mediterranean to Egypt. Just this massive empire. Read two kings, second kings, and you discover that Ahaz, Ahaz not only had Assyria to fear, he's got Israel and Syria to worry about because they're trying to force him into a, an alliance to stand up against the Assyrians. And if he doesn't do it, they're threatening to invade Judah, kill him, put a puppet king in his place because all they really wanted was Judah's army. They didn't care about Ahaz. They just wanted his army. Now, again, just to give you confidence in Scripture, let me insert this. All of the kings, all of the nations, all of the events the Bible describes as happening are proven to be historically accurate. And so this isn't the stuff of fiction. It all happened. It's real stuff that we're talking about. As the story in the seventh chapter unfolds, the seventh chapter of Isaiah, Ahaz is outside the city of Jerusalem at a high place overlooking the city where he's able to see these two invading armies on, you know, coming toward, toward Judah, uh, Jerusalem. And he's checking out the aqueduct system because water is one of the most important things for people to have in a time of battle if the city gets under siege. And he's very afraid. He's very afraid. This is a huge crisis moment for Ahaz. It's a, it's a defining moment. And, and, and really the question is, is he going to crumble and make an, an alliance with Israel and Syria? Or will he stand firm and trust in the Lord? Now I'm guessing there's more than a few of us here today. We're at one of those times in our lives. And if you and I could talk, you'd say to me, Steve, I've got to tell you, I am facing the biggest challenge I've ever faced. I'm in a very scary place, and instead of trusting God, everything in me wants to figure it out on my own and, and, and fix it my own way. If that's true for you now or if it's true for you in the future, I'm so grateful to be able to share today, today's scripture with you because it shows us 
that you and I, we have every reason to trust God. See what God does in these two chapters, and you can have confidence that there isn't any challenge too great for God to handle in all of God's wisdom and all of God's power. And so I want you to know that you have every reason for hope in your life. Ahaz is at a crisis point, a defining moment, and God sends his prophet Isaiah telling him to put his trust in God instead of an alliance with any other nation. In fact, God even gives him a timetable. Not only is he told that Judah will never be invaded by Israel and Syria, Isaiah tells him that in 65 years, these two nations are going to be totally gone. And it happened. In 65 years, they're not only conquered by the Assyrians, they cease to exist as nations. And history, outside of the Bible, shows us that this is exactly what happened. And it's in the context of this message of God's promise to protect, protect Judah that God gives an infinitely greater promise of a Savior and a king who's going to rule this earth forever and I just love this. The people of Judah are looking for, for someone to save them from the Assyrians. God promises to save them if they'll just trust him. But even better than this, God points forward into the future to a Savior who will save mankind from its sin, Jesus himself. So this brings us to chapter 7 and verse 10. We read this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. This is a blank check from God. God is saying to Ahaz, Ask me for any sign you want me to give you, and I'll give it to you so, to show you that you can trust me. And Ahaz says, Oh, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to test God. It sounds like Ahaz is having this brief moment of godliness. And, you know, his response sounds so pious. But really, he, he's, he's, not, he's not a God-fearing man. So what's really going on is he's trying to keep God out of this. He wasn't opening himself to God. Leading to this response from Isaiah. He said, here now, you house of David, is it? Not enough to try the patience of humans. You try the patience of my God also. And then he said this, and this is one of our two big statements today. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Manuel. I remember in one of my Old Testament classes in seminary a, a long time ago in, in a faraway world, you know. I remember hearing how the, this pr professor described how this worked, and he compared it to how a telescope works. When prophets were given visions, they were sometimes prophetic of things that would happen in the near term, in the near future. And then, and, and then mixed into this were, were other things that were even farther into the future. Like a, like a telescope where you focus on one thing that's near and then you adjust that telescope so you can see something further in the distance. 
prophecy of Isaiah is an example of this. He's looking into the future to something that is going to happen in his own lifetime and, and also something that's going to happen in the distant future. What happens in Isaiah's lifetime is that all three nations, because they didn't trust God, they didn't do what is right, Israel, Syria, and, and, and Judah are conquered by Assyria. And the sign he's given right here that this is going to happen is the birth of a son to his wife. I, I, I love the name. You know, last Sunday, Jeff and Hosea said, Gomer isn't a name you'd want to name any child. I'll up them on this one. How do you like this name they gave their son? Marhar Shalal Hashbaz. You know why he, they gave him that name? You know what it means? Quick to the plunder. Or to put it in this terms, it's going to happen quicker than you think. The Assyrians taking you over. So every time Isaiah or his wife called out to their son, like to come into dinner or for whatever, they, they, would, they, they said, it's going to happen quicker than you think. Time for dinner. Okay, come in. It's going to happen quicker than you think. Time for bed. And everybody be hearing that over and over again. The Assyrians are going to conquer and it's going to happen quicker than you think. Now, here's what not to miss. What we know today is that this had an infinitely greater fulfillment in Jesus. And so in Matthew's gospel, in the very first chapter, this is what Matthew wrote and what we can read today. He, he said this. This is how the birth, and we've all read this, many of us, many times. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before any physical relationship, she, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And uh, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew writes, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to his son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, everybody, Matthew's a real person. In fact, it's a fact that he wrote this after Christ's death and resurrection, and he wrote it like any other historical scholar. He, he's basing it on eyewitness accounts. So here's what we have. Ahaz is looking at this military alliance that's trying to conquer him, and, and God tells him he's got nothing to fear if he'll just trust him. And you and I, we're looking at an alliance of sin and death, and it's coming at us. And God says to us, I'm sending you a deliverer. He will be called Jesus. He's going to save you from your sin. God will be with you in Jesus. God's pointing to this incredible promise. 
And he does it in the midst of this conflict before, between nations. And he does it 700 years before Christ's birth. And i got to tell you, it gives us every reason for hope and every reason to trust in God no matter what we're facing. Now, let's go to chapter 8, verse 19. God's still appealing to Ahaz. And speaking through Isaiah, he says this, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction, a testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have not the light of dawn. And then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Here we see Ahaz, instead of trusting God, is looking to other gods, false gods. He's looking to mediums and spiritists to give him the direction he needs. And, and God's saying to him, really, Ahaz, you're really, you're really going to trust, you know, consult the dad for the direction you need? Come on, Ahaz. Turn to me. Ahaz, if you don't do this, you're going you're to set yourself up for utter despair and darkness. You know, it's likely that none of us are looking to the dead for guidance. None of us here this morning. But it's possible you're looking everywhere but to God for the guidance and the strength that you need to face the challenge you're facing today. And if you are, God's saying to you in the same way he said to Ahaz, you have every reason. To trust me. So in the context of giving Ahaz this warning that God again gives this amazing promise about the birth of Jesus. Which brings us into the ninth chapter in this statement. God said, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the future, he will honor Galilee, the nations. The statement begins one of the most famous of the famous passages is in the book of Isaiah, a passage telling us about the birth of God's son. And what's written here would have been, would have been a total surprise to any one of Isaiah's readers. And they would have thought that if God's going to do this great thing and the Messiah is going to come, it, that, that, it would all, that it would all center around Jerusalem. Instead, God says it's going to start in Padunkville. <laughs> You know, have you, have you ever noticed it seems like there's always been this pecking order of where you live? And so back then, if you were in Rome, you, you thought Jerusalem was Padunkville. But if you're, and you lived in Jerusalem, you would, have, you would have found some other place to look down on. So Galilee became the backwaters. Same thing happens in our world today. I remember 35 years ago when Becky and I moved here to Omaha, Nebraska. Some of our pastor friends from the east, especially from the east coast and the west coast, they would go. I remember we'd see them like once a year at our national conference. And after, right after I moved here, they, they said, you, you moved where? You know, just kind of this where? And Omaha, Nebraska? I mean, just this arrogance, you know. That was what happening back then. And added to this, what made it even worse, there were, there were many people living there from other nations. In fact, Galilee of the nations that's stated here in, in this verse literally means Galilee of the Gentiles. 
back then, both in fact, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament times, it's more common than not for any Jewish person to look down on a Gentile. So Galilee was not a place you'd want to be from. In fact, you remember, remember when Philip was called to follow Jesus as a disciple and Philip went to Nathaniel and told him that they had found the Messiah? Remember what Nathaniel said? I think he said what he'd heard his whole life. He said, Nazareth, Nazareth was in Galilee, by the way. Nazareth, can anything good come from, come from there? See, all the more reason to be amazed at this prophecy that is given by Isaiah. He's, he's pointing into the distant future and he's saying that this great thing is going to happen and it's going to happen in a place nobody expected it to happen. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Israel's Messiah, the Savior of the world, is gonna, he's going he's gonna to live in Galilee. That's where he's going to come from. The most influential person in the history of the world will come out of the most obscure and disliked places in Israel. Totally unexpected by everybody. Yet this is exactly what happened. There really was a man named Jesus. It's a historical fact. And he did grow up in Nazareth, in Galilee. Again, it's a historical fact. And Isaiah predicted it in the ninth chapter, over 700 years before it happened, when he wrote this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He's talking there about Galilee that was considered to be the most spiritually dark of any place. And then these words, for as a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Here's what I want you to leave today knowing. The miracle, the birth of Jesus Christ, God becoming one with us in, in, in our humanity, this more than anything else that God has done, gives you reason to trust God with whatever challenge you're you're facing in your own life. God becoming man. There's no greater miracle than this. And if God's able to do this, then, then there isn't any challenge in your life that God can't help you with. <laughs> and if God's willing to humble himself to this extent, if God loves you this much, you can count on him to be there for you in your times of need. You know, I, I can't think of anything that could give us more hope. To think, think that God first gave this promise to a wicked king named Ahaz, who had a nation-sized problem. Only he had trusted God. It might not be a nation-sized problem you're facing today, you know. But for you right now, it seems that big, it seems that great, it seems, it seems that dark. Life for you might not be working right now. And here's what you can know with total confidence. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much he came to this earth to die for you. And by the power of God, he was resurrected from death to life. And right now, right now he's in heaven. And he has all the wisdom and all the power to guide and strengthen you in the midst of the most challenging times you could ever have in your life. And so I'm just going to say to you one more time this morning, you have every reason to trust him completely. You have every reason for hope in your life. 
Let's stand together, and, and I'd like to pray, and then we're going to close with a song of worship, all right? Father, we praise you. It's incredible. And Father, thank you that you've given to us this, this solid proof, this solid evidence that, we, that we, can, we can, it just builds our confidence in the truth of your word and the power that you have. We praise you for that. We thank you. And we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.